In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Welcome to See You Next Week in Space. This is Amy. Just a quick note at the top. In this episode, we do discuss issues of suicide, self-harm, and depression. We also do want to mention that information on reaching the National Suicide Prevention Hotline will be in our show notes. And if you are in need, please reach out. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline can be reached at 1-800-273-8255. Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can climb hey. I got you, I got you, Okay, campers, rise and shine And don't forget your booties Because it's cold out there today It's cold out there every day What is this, Miami Beach? Not hardly, and you know, you can expect hazardous travel later today with, uh, you know, that blizzard thing. That blizzard thing. That blizzard thing. Oh, well, here's the report. The National Weather Service is calling for a big blizzard thing. Yes, they are, but you know, there's another reason why today is especially exciting. Especially cold. Especially cold, okay, but the big question on everybody's lips. On their chapped lips. On their chapped lips, right, you're hilarious. Do you think Phil is going to come out and see his shadow? Punk Satani Phil. That's right, woodchuck chuckers. It's Groundhog Day! Wow. Wow. We are in the movie. Yes, we transported you, listeners, (laughs) uh, to a world of uh, rural Pennsylvania in the early 90s. Um, welcome to See You Next Week in Space. I am Sarah Walsh, and I am here with my sister Amy Walsh. And congratulations to us both on the best executed and planned bit this show has ever seen. Well done, Amy. Thanks, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. It was all my idea, too. Great. <laughs> Just kidding. The bits are never my <laughs> idea. I have no ideas. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's even a reach to say that the bits that we have done in the past come from a place of ideas for me. <laughs> um, but yes, I did generate this one because we are, in fact, talking about what movie today. I mean, it seems obvious, but maybe some people have never seen it. We are talking about the 1993 classic Groundhog Day. 
Yeah. We say, I feel like I say classic in a mocking tone a lot on this, (laughs) but I, but this one truly, I would think counts as that. I mean, it's referenced in popular culture very often. I think. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'll just say the inspiration for us talking about this movie today is that um, we're actually recording a couple days after Groundhog Day 2021, um, which for those of you who are never sure, Groundhog Day officially falls on the 2nd of February every year. Um, and we're doing this inspired by the fact that our lives are all Groundhog Day. So, That's true. It's uh, very that is, that is what we're talking... That is like the theme of today is what do we do when every day is effectively the same? Um, mm-hmm. How does it affect us? How does it affect our mental health? How does mm-hmm. it affect the way we treat other people when like time essentially is meaningless? <laughs> I mean, I think what is the difference between like this Groundhog Day and the movie and the Groundhog Day that has become pandemic life is that there are indeed still consequences to your actions and pandemic life. And this one posits that there aren't really consequences for your actions. Like if you ate an entire table of food every day, you would start to get larger. Which right, and many of us by the fact that I probably have. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, and many of us did have various like weight gain and weight loss, depending on kind of what you were going through at any given moment. Yeah. Um, as a result of this time, so like you know, admittedly, it takes a while before you start seeing the bad choices you make in terms of what you consume showing on your body, but it doesn't, it will eventually get there. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, I think mostly, um, kind of the backstory to this movie, because when I was doing research about it, um, one of my first questions was, is this inspired by something? Mm. Um, or is it like, you know, was somebody reading like a philosophy book and then they came up with this idea and it turns out it was indeed inspired by something, but not nearly as highfalutin as a philosophy book. Um, the writer of the movie, Danny Rubin was reading an Anne Rice novel called The Vampire Lestat, which is actually mm-hmm. the inspiration for Interview with a Vampire, mm-hmm. um, if you've seen that. Um, and it just started Danny Rubin to think about what would you do with immortality, right? Mm. And um, if I remember, it's been a long time since I've seen Interview with a Vampire and I've never read The Vampire Lestat. Um, but I'm pretty sure there is a period of like deep and profound boredom that is portrayed in this. Um, and correspondingly kind of, uh, if not outright depression, despondency, right? Like, um, so boredom too much. Like, I mean, they, I feel like, cause they start to like gloss over the days after a while, you know, but like. I don't know if they show the boredom piece. It's more, they show the anger, despondence, and depression for sure. Yeah. Um, there are like little hints of the boredom of it all, but no. Mm-hmm. I mean, because also like 
You're not going to show the movie. boring parts in yeah. a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, no that's just not what it's boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think that's a really interesting question, which is if, like, in a sense, this is something that I think we've talked about in various ways before, which is like, is part of what being in the human experience, is it that it's finite, right? You always know somewhere uh, that your life will end, that things do not remain static, even when they're good things, like good things don't last forever either. Um, And so what kind of effect would it have on a human being to then discover that that isn't true anymore, right? Um, the, thing, the thing that I feel like is different about this movie, though, in terms, like, immortality as an idea in other things, I feel like is more just you continue to live on and on and on, and, you know, everyone else you know continues to grow old and blah, 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 and true. you just, like, continue on. Like, the rest of the world is in the same trajectory, right? But you just right. continue to live. In this one... It's like if you're living in a loop. So that's like yeah. different than, I mean, it is immortality because you're never going to die, but it's it's different in that like, I think it's more tedious and more, but also in a way then also the people you're close with never die because they're still caught in this loop as well in a way. Right. I don't know. I'm but not you sure also can't really... You can't really be so like I would say the parallel is is like um, if in a, in some of these worlds that we see where the person who lives forever does watch people and friends and family die and then they see it again and then they see it again and then they see it again into forever um, and and so they feel apart from the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's still true in a time loop because he's the only one who's experiencing it. Yeah. Um, and is conscious of it. So he's separate and apart from people as well, but mm-hmm. just in a different way. Um, I'll, I'll also say that Danny Rubin's original script um, was really very much more of a darker, more philosophical kind of exploration rather than um, the comic version that has that it exists now. Yeah. Um, and because of that, Danny Rubin and ultimately Harold Ramis, who becomes the director, neither one of them ever wanted to have an explanation for why the time loop happens mm-hmm. um, or why it stops. Um, yeah. Although we can maybe make some guesses about why it stops. We don't know yeah. why it starts. Yeah. Um, and apparently, like, the various, like, executives in charge were really f- trying to make them do something, like have a wizard have it be a time machine, have, you know, like some kind, or have it be that he had a brain tumor and he was passed out the whole time, you know, like something, uh, they really wanted, they were really pushing for something. Um, but ultimately, uh, the writers had the ability to kind of push back and be like, no, we're not doing that. Um, and I think that changed the movie. Right. I think that's for the best. Yeah. Because I don't think, you know, I'm one, I've said it before, I don't like things that are super nebulous and, like, we don't know right. answers to questions. But I will say in this case, I've never even thought, like, why. I thought it was, it's not It's not explicit, but I feel like it's enough implied as to why 
that I get it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the thing is, is that if you're a person who really needs to explain it, the very easiest logic is he was a shitty guy. Yeah. And so some kind of force intervened, brought him into this time loop, and then he got out of it when he wasn't shitty anymore. Yes, exactly. And that's, what, um, that's my interpretation of it. And that's like, and that's very fine. But I think one of the other reasons, because some people might be sitting saying, well, like, how is this a science fiction thing? <laughs> and I think already it's pretty clear that we take a fairly like broad <laughs> approach to what constitutes we science gotta fiction. Watch some things that I don't completely hate every time. <laughs> uh, but in in my case, or in my defense, I would say the since there is no reason given and since it's not like definitely magical right Mm -hmm. or like the inter interference of a supernatural entity or force Mm -hmm. um then it then it just brings up the issue of time loops and kind of alternative timelines Mm -hmm. and all those things are very science fiction available kind of storylines and so Mm -hmm. that's why um and plus i just wanted to watch this and so there we go um (laughs) The other thing that is kind of wild that I discovered in my Googling about this movie is that, in a sense, it's kind of a miracle that this movie even ended up getting made because um, over the course of the kind of pre-production and filming, uh, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis got into a massive uh, kind of interpersonal conflict Mm. over the story. Um, Hmm. So, like, I'm not totally sure of the exact timeline, but basically Danny Rubin writes this more kind of contemplative script uh, that is the basis for Groundhog Day. And then he uses that as his, like, calling card script. Like, he shows it to people so he can get meetings, but he actually pitches something else. Um, So he didn't really intend necessarily for this ever to become a movie. But then Harold Ramis runs across it and sees quite a lot of potential for comedy in it. So he says he wants to make it. Danny Mm -hmm. Rubin says, okay, fine. Um, There's already a bit of tension between Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis because uh, Rubin never really thinks about this movie in a comedic way. And so Mm -hmm. it's, and it's his baby. So he's like a little bit um, kind of uh, not as open to Ramis's changes as you might expect. Um, and then Harold Ramis is like, ah, well, I'll bring in Bill Murray, my friend, mm-hmm. uh, to do the role. And Bill Murray says, great. And it turns out that Bill Murray really wanted to do the version that Danny Rubin was envisioning. So not comical, philosophical. Hmm. Um, And so even before filming begins, there's like a constant rewriting process that is happening for a couple of months before filming Mm -hmm. begins. And it gets really acrimonious between all three of them. Uh, And so much so that even as filming is happening, rewrites are also happening simultaneously. Um, I don't know what it's like to be on set, but I can't imagine this is a great dynamic to just no. have constant 
um, rewrites well, well into production, not like in the first couple of weeks, but like well into production. And as that continues to happen, uh, Murray and Ruben start becoming like a little twosome and Ramus is increasingly cut out, um, because, Murray is like so pissed off about how things are going. It sounds like he was being a complete like dickhead mm-hmm. when it came to filming, like showing up late, well, acting really inappropriate. Like, you know, it's so funny that you bring that up because we were watching the credits, and in the credits, Bill Murray's stand in was credited like in the main cast credits, which we were watching. We were watching it and Nate was like, that's really bizarre. Usually they would like the stand-ins would be like way further down on the list. Um, and so we conjectured our con- our conclusion from that was if that person was so high up on the list, that means like probably they will use a stand-in anytime the fit person's face isn't showing. And But a right. lot of actors will be like, hey – you're not showing my face, but I'll be there and I'll do my own stand-in, you know, to be right. the person who's acting against me is like emotional, right. whatever. But if he was all pissy and like acting like a diva on this, like maybe he was like literally any time when you're not seeing my face, I'm not going to be I'm here. not there. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think as well, probably because of like chronic lateness and not showing up, there are probably a lot of scenes that had to be shot differently where the stand-in was used. Um, You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's like, and it was so bad. Like, I mean, I'm just getting this off the internet and like Wikipedia, not like gossip mongering places. But I think this really sums up just how bad things got on set. Um, After this movie, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray didn't speak again until 2014, just before Harold Ramis died. Yeah, it ruined their friendship. I mean, clearly. Yeah. Um, So we can infer from that that like whatever doesn't make it into kind of like the internet or the historical record about this filming... It clearly was bad. Yeah. It was a bad working relationship. It soured things entirely for them. Um, and, and it sounded enough, like it made a good product. <laughs> no, it made a, I mean, it's a really wonderful movie. And one of the things that I think, you know, if I were in Bill Murray's position, I probably would have ultimately been like, okay, like, so I was kind of, I was definitely a dickhead during this filming, but it turns out this movie is good and it actually really helped his career because what I also discovered is that this is a really important movie for his career to transition into being a more serious actor rather than just a comic goofball type. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the first time he really has something that could be characterized as a more traditional leading man role Hmm. um and so if he hadn't done this then things like lost in translation or saint Mm. vincent or you know some of the more serious stuff he's done since um those might not have happened or they wouldn't Mm. have happened in the way that they did yeah and i mean as soon as it came out it was really like critically praised and people liked it um so you know if in if i were that person i'd be like yeah, I'm going to like, uh, okay. Like I, maybe I wasn't 
right about what I was yeah. like digging my heels and about, and it turned out it was good and okay, let's maybe try and, uh, claw back some of our friendship that was yeah. ruined by this. Uh, but that is not the way things went. Um, and I remember, I forget if it was some other thing, but I know I've heard about the supposed, well, not the supposed, it did happen. The kind of attempt to rekindle their friendship in 2014, um, from the perspective of the Ramis, Ramis family. And, um, I don't, it was, it was like Bill Murray called, they had an okay conversation and that was pretty much it. Like there just wasn't time to really like put the pieces back together after you hadn't spoken to someone for 30 years, you know, um, or 20 years. Um, so anyway, all of that to me is kind of amazing to think like the movie came together really well, but the making of it sounds really nightmarish. Yeah. It's wild. Um, so basically in terms of the cast, uh, as is often, well, not as is often the case, but I tend to really like casts that are small. Um, and yeah. it seems like oftentimes small casts are what are used to tell like more complex conceptual stories, which is the case yeah. here and makes sense. So uh, we've already mentioned Bill Murray a whole bunch, as <laughs> many of you who've seen the movie already know. Uh, he was 43 when the movie came out. Um, and basically, you know, many of us know kind of the story of him, uh, his like breakthrough stuff was on Saturday Night Live in the early seventies. And, uh, as well, many of his brothers are also actors. So the guy I who had plays, no idea he had that many brothers, PS, yeah. by the way, um, or well, cause he's. The, he is the exact middle child of nine. He's number five out of nine. Wow, that's um, crazy. Well, I mean, his family's Irish Catholic, so what do you expect? Like nine? I mean, nine is a lot. Nine is a lot, but <laughs> anyway. Um, so at least three of his brothers are also in the acting game. The most kind hmm. of recognizable is Brian Doyle Murray, who was, in fact, in this movie. Um, he's oh. the mayor of town. Oh, Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and it even sounded like when the, the oh, that radio bit that we did, one of the voices on the that voice. sounds like him. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not be. totally sure. Right. Um, the next character, and so Bill Murray's character in this is Phil. Uh, the next yeah. character is Rita, played by Andy McDowell, who was 35 when this movie came out. Um, you would know her from having really great curly black hair. Um, (laughs) and she's from South Carolina and I didn't know exactly where in the South she was from, but that's one of her kind of like distinctive features as an actor is having like a bit of a Southern, no, having a bit of a Southern twang. Like she doesn't like hide that in her Mm. roles. Uh, and in fact, she probably even maybe lays it on a bit thick for them in some cases. Yeah. Um, and unsurprisingly, she starts out as a model and then transitions into acting. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, what Isaac said about her. He was like he was watching it and he was like, 
you know, I remember watching this and thinking she wasn't attractive. And I'm watching it now thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> like, and I was like, well, what about her did you not find attractive? And he's like, well, I just thought she was like real old. And yeah. I was like, well, this movie came out when we were eight or nine. So to <laughs> you, she was. I was like, but she's literally our age in this movie. <laughs> so. Right. Right. Exactly. The only like note I would have about her looks is that, um, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the looks in general that people are wearing in this, which is so early nineties. Um, but like her hair, this is like, we, you and I have experienced this. People didn't know what to do with curly hair until about 10 years ago. Um, and so, and even then it's questionable. I know, but like, so her hair to me, although being like long and full and clearly like lovely, it was like, just like frizzy. It was like a nest of hair. I noticed a couple of shots where like it was inconsistent where like her face shot. (laughs) I don't know the names of shots. Her shot where you're looking at her face was like very puffy and frizzy. And then when it was the other person and it was just the back of her head and it could have been a stand in, I suppose, but I don't think so was like very much tame and not the same curl situation happening. I definitely noticed that on a few occasions. Yeah. I just, this sounds nuts, but like truly I'm like, I just don't think people quite had like worked out what to do, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of curly hair. And plus, do you remember, like, I remember in the nineties, there was that phase where people who didn't have curly hair like us were getting perms to make it look curly like that. Um, like that kind of like weirdly frizz style. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, well, there, and there was a part in this where I literally was looking at her, her hair and I was like, did they brush her curls? Like what right. is happening? Yes. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's a mistake. Anybody? Hello. Um, we haven't talk. done hair if talk in have, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't. And anyone who has curly hair, anyone who has curly hair definitely already knows this, but anyone who doesn't, here's his tip. If you ever curl your hair or if you ever, like, get a perm, don't brush it when no. it's wet. I mean, when no. it's dry. No. Like, it once once you've done something to it, <laughs> then it must remain untouched and left alone. Like, you can't do anything. That's why well, it's, it's dry, you Yeah, once it's dry, like, that's what it looks like. And it's going to, here, other hot take, it's going to start to look worse as the day goes on. (laughs) For sure. Like, Um, it's not going to look the same in five minutes. No, and that's one of the true, I mean, everybody's like good hair days, bad hair days, sure. But curly hair really is like, you don't, you can do the same styling procedure and get different results every time. And you're like, I feel like I'm crazy. What's happening? Um, but no, you're right. There were various hours. (laughs) I have like, oh, my hair looks good for like an hour and then it stopped looking good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were various times where it looked like her curls had been brushed out or like something weird. Um, so the next character, uh, is named Larry and that's played by Chris (laughs) Elliott, who was 33 at the time. Um, and for those of you who are like Chris Elliott, that just sounds like anybody's name. Uh, he I is love Chris Elliott. most recently featured as the mayor of Shit's Creek, Roland Shit. Um, he's, I just, he looks, it's so funny cause he looks 
A, exactly the same in this movie, and it's yes. 27 years ago. But yeah. B, also, like, a lot younger at the same time in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but I... I very much enjoy Chris Elliott. <laughs> yeah, no, he's really funny in this. And I was trying to place like him in his career. This was so um, it's he kind of got his start, I think, in kind of just general comedy and particularly doing impressions um, because mm. he had quite a number of appearances on Letterman, like in the early to mid 80s, oh. which then translates uh, to like, so he's doing that. Then he gets this show that I know, um, mom and I watched many years ago called get a life, um, Hmm. where it was about, you know, a a guy in his late twenties, who's like basically failing to launch and his parents. Um, and then that turned into a brief stint on Saturday Night Live, also in the early 90s. Um, Hmm. And then he appears in this movie. So at the time, he would have been somebody who maybe looked like they were on the upswing of a career. Um, And he was. I mean, he's had a very good career, but it's mostly like one-offs on shows, smaller movie roles. uh, Like shit's... I mean, his role in Shit Creek was... Yeah, that was a big one for him. That's probably the biggest yeah. exposure he's had um, as an actor. And then yeah. that's really the main characters in the movie. Uh, I did just want to briefly mention the name of Stephen Tobolowski or Tobolowski. Yes. I don't know. Um, he plays Ned Ryerson, the extremely <laughs> enthusiastic insurance salesman uh, that accosts Phil a number of times on the street. Um, I love this guy. He's hilarious, and I like. There's he's a really known character actor, is how I would describe him. Um, yeah. and he's been in 275 things, according to IMDb. Um, That's wild. You know what's interesting? You know what I heard him on once is there is a podcast. I don't know if it still exists. I'm going to talk about a podcast on a podcast, but there is a podcast That's a little hat I, on a hat, I, I know. Say. It's called I Was There Too, and it's about oh. it's actors <laughs> who were in move, very famous movies, but they were like, you know, they played Ned Ryerson or they sure. were, you know some tertiary character and he, there is an episode with him where he talks about this movie and that's, uh, it's very funny. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Like when I was going through his credits, there wasn't anything that like stood out for me of being like, Oh yeah, I also saw him in that. Like, but his face is really recognizable. His voice is really mm-hmm. recognizable and he's just been he's super in, well known for this movie, which is funny. Like I think, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, so he's just been in, like oodles of stuff. Um, But these are really the only people that we need to know much about um, for this story. Um, So like why, as usual, we'll kind of walk through, but then I've also uh, kind of snuck in some little questions in the midst of this that are like, I guess you could say more thematic um, that we'll try and talk about as well. So uh, the movie begins and we're in a news studio in what we later learn is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phil Connors is a weatherman 
for this news station and he's doing a weather report and he's standing in front of a blue screen and he's doing like lots of like pretending to blow and then makes the like image on the screen move as if he's blowing it right um Mm -hmm. doing various gags and even that I was like huh I haven't seen a weather report in 10 years (laughs) like on real tv I know because everyone's got the weather app on their phone now. Do like do weather has that ruined? I mean, okay, here's the deal. Of course, people still watch like weather on the news because there's still lots of people. Well, there's the whole weather channel now, where I presume a lot of these people are getting jobs. That's true, but yeah, so true. I've never watched like a weather report, or I haven't in years, let's say, Um, because I bought the weather on my phone. Plus, you get like alerts about the weather if it's anything you really need to know (laughs) yeah yeah so it was kind of just like a trip back in time for me Mm -hmm. so that was like a that's a hat on a hat like a movie about time (laughs) things and I'm like oh yeah remember that um yeah so but I think what we're supposed to take away from this little scene is that it's very clear that Phil considers himself the talent um yeah and he's like kind of smarmy and slimy um, yeah. and then we learn that he, Larry and the new producer, Rita are being shipped off to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, which is a real place. Just so you know. Um, yeah, it is. I want to go there. I actually, they really <laughs> did film there, right? Like that really is what that town looks like. I think it's customer. a mixture of, I meant to, let me just look this up. I don't think the town as it as you would imagine it would look from the movie actually looks like that. I mean, maybe um, not exactly, but cause I feel like I asked, like I, I watched this with, I watched this with Nate too. And I asked him about it or something. And he says <laughs> he's driven through it a bunch. Cause you kind of have to, whatever, to get somewhere else he has, he's driven through. And he says yeah. every time he goes through, he's afraid he's going to get stuck there for an eternity. That's fair. Um, <laughs> that's also a good bit. Good bit, Nate. Way to go. (laughs) So um, the vast majority of this movie is shot in Illinois. Oh, really? Yeah. That's That's what I thought. I was hoping Um, it was like a real place. I didn't think it was Illinois, but I did think I was like, it's not like the town of Punxsutawney, though it exists. That's not what's being shot. I was pretty sure I already knew that. Um, oh, I didn't I'm know bummed. it. I wanted to go, I wanted to go to it and have it look like that. Yeah. I didn't realize it was all Illinois, but fair enough. Hmm. Um, so basically the only part that is, uh, kind of quote unquote true is when you have the shots after this of them driving out of town, driving out of Pittsburgh. That is in fact, of course, Pittsburgh. Um, oh, well that sucks. Yeah. So <laughs> that's not that exciting, but basically, uh, Phil hates doing this part of his job. He thinks it's hokey. He thinks it's stupid. Um, but he does it mm-hmm. every year anyway because it's like the big local weather story every year. Yeah. So that's what he's doing. So then they arrive in town um, where we get another opportunity for Phil to demonstrate how, how much of a shit he is because he's immediately like they don't, the van hasn't even stopped pulling up in front of this hotel in town and he's like I can't stay here this place sucks and Rita's like yeah 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 you're not staying here don't worry about it um and so now we finally begin uh 
the, uh, the time loop, or I guess technically it doesn't quite start yet. We have to have this like set up day to understand what the time loop is going to be. So we cut to the next day and that's our bit where he wakes up at 6am to hear Sonny and Cher's I got you babe. Mm -hmm. Um, and listens to the guys on the morning talk show talking about how it's groundhog day and a blizzard's coming in later in the day. Um, and because Phil hates this part of his job so, so much, he's like, we're getting out of here tonight. That's his whole mm-hmm. kind of thing. He's like, I'm going to tape this thing and then we're getting on the road because I don't want to stay in this shitty town. And so he yeah, has he's various like, like chance of departure. A hundred percent. Yes. He <laughs> um, he also is rude to literally every person he encounters at the B&B the, this <laughs> morning. Um, and he's explaining to everyone how, um, I forget exactly what it is, but it's like cold air is going to pass out and blow out to Altoona. He keeps like saying stuff <laughs> like that. Um, and so then he's heading over, uh, to do his taping at Gobbler's Knob. Um, Love but that. in the meantime, this is when we first are introduced to Ned Ryerson, mm-hmm. uh, a person Phil? who... That's Phil Connors? <laughs> I knew it was you. Um, I chose Beckfire, remember you. Yes, he's, I mean, he does a great job. And he's like, Ned, Ned the head, needle nose Ned. And I'm like, what kinds of nicknames are these? And why you did you, have? and like, why are you like saying them again? Because they don't sound good. No, it doesn't sound good. Um, but so they went to high school together. Uh, somewhere, I guess, maybe in the Pittsburgh area. I can't remember for sure. Yeah, they don't um, make that clear. But Phil is immediately like doing the thing that I often do. Similarly, when I'm encountering somebody maybe from high school or just like past, and I'm like, I just wanted oh my to God. go. Like, I just wanted to get this apple at this store, and then like that, I didn't prepare. To have an encounter like this. No, because here's the thing. This character is hilarious in a movie setting. Like he and he's very good at it. In real life, you would want to strangle that person. You would be like, Ew, you're in my face. And he's like, the part when he's like, Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? It's like I'm oh right. my god. I'm right. Please. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Yeah. Or am I, I right? Like, you, yeah. <laughs> You've got to get out of here. I cannot stand you. And so like I it's like his body language, Phil's body language is doing that thing of like my hands are up because it's as if like something gro- like I don't want to touch anything gross, mm-hmm. right? And he's like inching away from and mm-hmm. backing up. And so he manages to kind of free himself from Ned and then he steps off the curb into this massive like it's not even a pothole, it's just like a weird a sludge puddle. Like, yeah. And then Ned sees him, he's like, watch out for that first step. Because he, first, well, first he goes, well, yeah. And he's like, that's a doozy. <laughs> You're doing really great. That's like, I mean, Ned you Ryerson should play this like role. Where at. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, of course, then like Phil rolls his eyes very like uh, exaggeratedly. And so then he finally makes it uh, to Gobbler's Knob, which is like the kind of central plaza in town, I guess is what you could think of it as. Um, and Gobbler's Knob does seem to be kind of a real place in Punxsutawney. Um, it's not a good name. I'm not going to lie. It's a weird one. Um, it's, (laughs) it's like it to me, I'm like, oh, is that like 
like something to do with turkeys. Is this yeah, a place it sounds where Turkey-ish. turkeys used to be? Yeah. Um, because they do, in fact, in Punxsutawney celebrate this, which is kind of a shame that they didn't do any filming there. Um, I know. But so the, I did Google that and that's a place that really does exist. Okay. So uh, we see this big scene where everyone's like dancing um, and having a good time. Uh, it sounds like it's to kind of polka music or like oompa music. And that's also speaking to the like German heritage of this area of Pennsylvania, but also the German origins of Groundhog Day. Did you know the reason why we have Groundhog Day? No. So I Googled this because for those of you uh, who do not know, Groundhog Day, as I said before, is always celebrated on the 2nd of February. And as the movie indicates this, and this is really true. Like, so for those of you who are not in the United States and saw this movie and were like, they made up a whole holiday just for this dumbass movie. No, this mm-hmm. actually pre the, the holiday predates the movie. And you're supposed to watch a groundhog come out of its hole. And if the groundhog sees its shadow, then we're going to have six more weeks of winter. It's a very now, stupid. <laughs> it's very stupid. And the thing is, is like, since it's the beginning of February, saying six more weeks of winter is basically taking actual, us to when spring happens, yeah. which is the <laughs> 21st of March, you know? Right, right. Uh, so it's kind of like, but anyway, it's this tradition. But what I learned, because I was like, I wonder where this comes from. This is something that is carried from uh, Germany to North America. So Canadians also some, somewhat celebrate this and know what okay. it is. Okay. Um, and basically people have kind of worked out that this comes from a holiday called Candlemas, um, which is... that is, like a Candlemas, Candlemas, Candlemas Christmas? Is it something about Christmas yeah. and the candles? <laughs> it's about, it's, I mean, it's similar to Christmas in its um, kind of pagan sense where it's like a celebration of light during a dark, a dark part of the winter, uh, right? Um, and uh, Candlemas is apparently generally more celebrated by Catholics. And when German people came to North America at first, anyway, most of the people who were coming were German Catholics. Um, so, and candle mass is like a very long time ago, we, uh, celebration, but then starting in around the 16th or 17th century, candle mass starts to have this corresponding tradition where, you are watching a badger come out of its hole to predict the weather um, there for some reason. I mean, um, whatever floats then, your boat, but this, these are all weird. <laughs> right. And so then when um, German migrants come to North America, specifically the Pennsylvania Dutch, so that's like Amish people and things, yeah. Um, when they come over, as is often the case, like their German starts to change a bit, like in pronunciation and, uh, the word for badger starts to shift to sound like the word for groundhog. And so then in, that's why in the North American context, Candlemas, Badger Day, Groundhog Day, right? So we've made Uh this kind of little train of connections to now we have Groundhog Day. Um, and so that's like a heritage uh, into our 
kind of multicultural United States and North America coming from German traditions. And you see that a lot even in this, like with the oompa music and they eat at the German restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. There's a very big uh, kind of heritage of German kind of spirit in that part of the country. So yeah. that's that's where this has come from. So everyone's okay. kind of all whipped up. Phil does his report and really, like, in my opinion, phones it in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but again, another really funny moment in this is he's counting down for his shot and he says, on me in three, two, one. And as he's counting down three, two, one, the final one is his middle finger. Yeah, I love that. I thought that was like a very, like, it was really funny because it was really subtle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like when I first watched it, I was like, wait a minute, did he put up his middle finger? And then I had to like go back 10 seconds. And then I was like, he really did. I really like that joke. Um, so then we see them driving back to Pittsburgh and the snow is becoming heavier and heavier. And they ultimately get stopped at some overpass on the highway and there's a kind of like state police officer there and he's like you got to go back uh there's no way anyone's getting through to Pittsburgh and uh Phil is like in he's not even wearing a coat and he's like but the cold air is gonna pass out to Altoona (laughs) (laughs) it's just like no you gotta go back to Punxsutawney uh so finally they do, in fact, return to Punxsutawney, and they're all three of them are kind of in the hotel bar. And Rita and Larry are planning to go to the end of like the Groundhog Day celebration party. And like, do you want to join us? And Phil's like, "Fuck no, I'm going <laughs> back to my B and B." And we close out the day with him taking a super cold shower because the weather is so cold, and so you can't get hot water. Hmm. That seems a little bit like dated, I. but yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it would have been, even in, the, in 1993, that would have been unusual, but it was more possible back then that you would have yeah. situations where like on this day, it's just too cold and that's just the state of yeah, affairs. Yeah. And that's like that B&B is like an old house. So even more true. reason for that to be a thing that happens. Yeah. So now we start the real shit. Um, Phil wakes up in what he believes is the next day. And it's 6 a.m. again. The radio starts playing I Got You, Babe. He hears the same interchange that we did so masterfully at the top of the show. Um, And don't you forget it. (laughs) Never forget how great we are at acting. Um, and Phil is like, guys, you're playing yesterday's tape. Somebody's fucked up. Mm-hmm. And something, I don't really remember, but like something seems to make him think like, wait a second, this isn't just a mess up. Like something's weird. And then he goes to the window and he looks out the window and he sees the exact same thing as the day before, like the car turn, I think it's like a truck turns down the street and there are people walking. And, he's and I like, would think like the most like obvious piece as to why he would know that something was amiss is there's no snow on the ground. Well, I mean, there is snow, but it's nothing. It's from not from a blizzard. blizzard. Yeah. 
Right. So he's like, okay, this is weird. So, um, and he, at first it does seem like he rolls with this punch kind of okay. And he's like, okay, so I'm, this day has happened again. Weird. Yeah. Uh, but I guess I'll just do it again. And yeah. so he goes downstairs. Um, he talks to the Airbnb or not the Airbnb, the B and B lady. <laughs> um, and he, and she asks him like, uh, so, are you checking out later? And he's like, chance of departure, 75, 80%. So he's already like, <laughs> he's already uh, like I have no clue what's happening. Yeah. He's like, okay, fine. Um, then he again has yet another interaction with Ned Ryerson, but now <laughs> he knows what the conversation is going to be. So he like mm-hmm. just beats Ned to everything <laughs> that Ned is about to say. Mm-hmm. Um, which was played very well by both people. Yeah. Um, then he again comes to Gobbler's Knob to do his report. But before he does that, he says to Rita, can you slap me? And she does like, no problem. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. she's like, yep, here Fair you enough. go. Uh, and that he's like, I needed that because I'm feeling something's off. I just like, I don't know. Something's weird. Um, and so he does his taping and pretty much leaves immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't see the rest of this day, but we arrive back in his room at the B&B in the evening and he's trying to make a long distance phone call, mm-hmm. uh, but the lines are down because of the storm. Now, I don't know who he would be trying to call. It, he doesn't yeah, seem like a person... Make- his mom like that would be like no no he doesn't seem like a person who has friends so i'm not no. sure who he would be calling um he but ha- so go yeah, ahead it's not oh no 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 i just like yeah it's never made clear that he has any other like people or yeah no that is that's interesting yeah so he's attempting to make this phone call it doesn't go through And then he takes a pencil that he has lying around and he breaks it in two Mm -hmm. and he puts it next to the alarm clock. Um, And all of us know that this is like a test to see what is going on. And then day two in the time loop happens. 6 (laughs) a.m. shows up. Mm -hmm. Sonny and Cher go on the radio and most disturbing to Phil, the pencil is lying next to the alarm clock where he left it before. But now what is it like? It's not broken. Yes, it's totally whole and complete again. And so he like freaks the that, fuck out. Know, and I, like I would start breaking shit. That would be like, <laughs> because breaking stuff is fun. And if there's no like consequences, like it's going to be permanently broken. I would start breaking stuff. That's true. Excuse me. Um, but in his case, this freaks him out and he like rushes out of the B&B in mm-hmm. his pajamas still. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where he like asks just some lady on the street. He's like, what day is today? And she's like, yeah. Groundhog Day. And she's like so kind of like confused about why he wouldn't know what day it is. Yeah. Um, then again, we see him interacting with Ned now. When Ned shows up, he just, like, pushes him really violently <laughs> and runs away. Yeah. Um, steps in the puddle again. He's got to uh, get that together. 
He misses this quite a number of times. Then he comes to where Rita and Larry are waiting for him to do his report. And he basically just like freaks out and doesn't do that, doesn't do Mm -hmm. the report. And then says, um, Rita, I'm going to go into the diner. Please come and talk to me because I'm like having a real hard time. (laughs) Um, So then we enter the diner where Phil tells Rita that he's stuck in the same day. And at Mm -hmm. this point, again, just so we can check in, at this point, it's fairly certain that this is just the second day in the time loop and he's already freaking out, which I guess is fair. Um, I feel like the beginning of a time loop would be sort of the freakiest section of it. The realization yeah, like coming to terms yeah. with it, like what is happening? Like, am have I lost my mind or is this truly happening? <laughs> like, right. And that's precisely what Rita basically tells him to do. She's like, why don't you get some help? So then we yeah. see he goes to a kind of um, GP, general practitioner doctor, yeah. who's played by Har- Harold Ramis. Yeah. Um, and he's like, there is nothing physically wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with your brain. Um, mm-hmm. So then the doctor says, maybe you need to go to a therapist. And so then mm-hmm. he's at the therapist's office and the therapist is like, I am not... I don't know what your problem is, but I'm not really like up to this challenge. <laughs> like, um, like, didn't he j- say something like, I've only just gotten an alcoholic. <laughs> like, oh, no, like, I don't remember that. That's uh, uh, so he's not really up to snuff, uh, but he still is kind of willing. And she's, so he's like, oh, well, do you want to make an appointment for tomorrow? And Phil is like, well, this is going nowhere. So <laughs> no good. And as far as we know, he doesn't ever visit that therapist again, which seems yeah. weird because I feel like he should visit that therapist every That's day. That's another thing that you could do. Well, you know, it's, he starts to do it later, but like in terms of like going somewhere and like paying for a service and yeah, he should go get therapy a bunch and like you pay your whatever, $100 an hour, but then you get it back the next day, so... Right. In that sense, this is like the perfect scheme. Yeah. Because then you get however many years he's in this time loops worth of therapy for one session. Yeah. I've heard just, Um, you just, you mentioned that. So I will tell you what um, Nate looked up on the internet about how long he's in the the loop, which is something that I never even uh, thought of watching this movie. Um, but supposedly people online have done the math and that he's in this loop for approximately 34 years. I wonder how they work that out. They worked um, it out because of, they show, they say something like the, the math that is, it's based on is in the movie, they show about 400 days worth or something like that. Um, I'm not sure what the number is, but they figured out the math of how much they show in the movie. Then they're factoring in how long would it take you to, get good at piano that figure that that would take this amount of time figure that, um, that that's how they did that math. Okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I was wondering it and it doesn't really matter to me so much, but it was interesting to think about. So yeah, then we arrive in the local bowling alley where Mm -hmm. Phil is having drinks with two local guys named Gus and Ralph. 
and he's he's talking about how this like awesome day he had some years ago, like on a <laughs> tropical island, and then he had sex with some lady, and he's like, why couldn't that be the day <laughs> that is repeating? <laughs> Um, and a fair question, I, I guess. Yeah. And what I kind of liked, um, is that one of them, I can't remember if it was Gus or Ralph, but one of them kind of looks at him and he's like, I mean, I got up, go to work and do the same thing every day. So like what you're saying is just what my Not life that is. remarkable. <laughs> anyway, yeah. man, um, which... Then I was in this whole like thought process for a while of like, yeah, and that was when rural Pennsylvania, when you actually had a job. Now these guys Ooh, wouldn't even have burn. jobs. Burn, burn like, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not trying to like come for Pennsylvania. I'm just saying but per what everyone talks about and like why supposedly people from that part of the world vote for Trump is because of like major economic yeah. disaster, you know? So yeah. like... In fact, that response of like every day is the same probably would be even more true in that mm-hmm. part of the world now than it was in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyway, they, they kind of develop a camaraderie amongst the three of them. And so they leave the bar together and Phil decides to drive them home. And as he's doing so, he asks them... Like, what would they do if there were no tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them says, well, if there are no consequences, like, we're not going to be hung over tomorrow because there isn't <laughs> tomorrow. So um, I guess we could basically do whatever we want. He says something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, Phil gets this look on his face where he's like, you're right. We could do whatever we want and there are Mm. no consequences to our actions um so then we see the first of two car chases that occur Mm -hmm. um because then phil starts like crashing into stuff he drives on the train tracks and swerves (laughs) at the last minute um and then he finally i think they like end up where he hits a car like that's parked somewhere um and the police that have been following him catch up to him And he like looks out the window at the police officer and he's like, that'll be like one Big Mac meal and a couple of (laughs) flapjacks. And I was like, oh boy. Um, And this round of the day in the time loop ends with him in jail. Yep. The next day comes and it's the same day. And we're now in day three of the time loop. Um, But now Phil is pretty stoked because he's like, on this is like them yeah and this is like no consequences and in fact no consequences sounds really cool um so he comes downstairs he kisses the owner of the b&b right on the mouth for some reason inappropriate Um, but okay well that's the thing is like if there are no consequences to our bad behavior then there is no reason or at least for phil there's no reason to even act good because you know what he doesn't do you know what he doesn't do that i don't know if i should even say this out loud (laughs) but you know what he (laughs) you know what he doesn't do or they don't show it is he goes through and i don't know like trigger warning to anybody but he goes through a suicidal uh spat right say 
But what he doesn't do is he doesn't go through a homicidal. Um, yeah, that's right. They don't show him killing anybody. Which, with a person with his temperament in this movie, let's say, <laughs> is a bit shocking. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so I guess there. So maybe that's to show us that there are in fact Some elements boundaries. of good qualities yeah. in him, but like you know, they're o- overwhelmed by his lesser yeah. characteristics because then. <laughs> I do. I did laugh at this as well. Because then when he sees Ned this time, he literally like just punches him right in the face. (laughs) So see, I mean, Uh, I guess that's like, okay, that is overt violence against someone. Yes, he didn't kill anybody, but I guess maybe he still played with that idea a little bit. Yeah, and now, though, he's finally figured out this puddle thing, and he jumps over it, and there's, like, this spring in his step, and he's like, "Woohoo! good life for me. <laughs> and this is where we get to the part that you were talking about, where he's just, like, eating everything in sight oh, at the diner and drinking coffee so good. and got, smoking like, a bunch. Yeah, there's, like, donuts. It looks real good. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff with frosting on it, yeah. I want to say. Yeah, it's um, just, like, all really good, like, diner bakery shit. Yeah, and it's, like, the whole table is covered yeah. from end to end in food. Yeah. And, um, I like, I think my relationship with food is mostly normal. Mm. Uh, but I will say, like, somebody would look at a table literally, like, chock-a-block with food and be like, gross, I could never eat all that. And I would look at it and be like... I will try my best to eat this. (laughs) Yes. That's that like, so for somebody else that wouldn't be the dream. I don't think. Um, No, sure. I guess some people are normal, whatever, but like, I I know I absolutely, that would be, um, I do think I would be ill obviously. Cause it's just like, of course, certainly (laughs) it's not great for your body. Because the thing, the thing about doing that, is like if you really do just eat without any concern for like the combination of foods or how much mm-hmm. you're eating, you will experience that consequence before the day resets. Yeah. You will experience yes, it. Yes, you will. So you will. that's the that's truth true. of the matter. <laughs> that's true. So you know what? I don't think, okay, here's the deal. I probably wouldn't go to that extreme then. I wouldn't go to the extreme of like making myself ill, but I would you know, not at all hold back. Like if I felt like eating a donut, I would eat a donut. Not that I like don't do that now, but like it, if I wanted a giant milkshake and in the middle of the day, boom, I would do it, whatever. I maybe wouldn't eat an entire table of food in one sitting because I would then be ill, but no, um, it would be like the rules that I apply to myself during holiday times, which is that there are no (laughs) rules. So like as soon as soon as like I've thought, boy, in the fridge I've got that soda. I think I'm gonna drink it. Like I would just do that. Sure. <laughs> like, I bought whereas, this hot cocoa and whipped cream and marshmallows. It's Christmas. I'm gonna drink that. But it's also a day that keeps repeating, so I'm gonna drink that. Right. Like that's how I would approach this yeah. scenario. Would be like as soon as I think I want a food, then I'll just have it. 
Yep. And it doesn't matter what time of day or if I'm about to eat an actual meal in two minutes. Like, nope. I'll just do whatever. <laughs> um, but I know, but that wouldn't be everyone's, like, reaction to no consequences. No. But I no. very much do, like, appreciate that he's like, just give me all the shit. Like, yeah, I appreciate the phases he goes through because I think yeah. it shows a little bit of, like... I mean, I think everyone would go through, like, multiple phases, but it does show a little glimpse of, like, different, (laughs) uh, what maybe different people's reactions might be. Right. Rita, needless to say, is super disgusted by this (laughs) display. And she's like, don't you worry about, like, cholesterol or, like, lung cancer or, like, anything. And, like, Phil's response is, I don't worry about anything anymore. You know, (laughs) and... Like, for somebody like me who, like, on a good day, I worry about, like, 87 things. Um, (laughs) Like, to hear that, I'm like, wow, that would be cool to not worry about anything anymore. Um, And then in a theme that we'll repeat later, Rita starts quoting some poetry about a man who's, like, disgusting and gross. And Phil laughs in her face. (laughs) Like, I don't, that does not, I do not care what you think, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as he's leaving the diner, Phil notices uh, a woman named Nancy Taylor. Presumably he notices her because he thinks she's attractive. Mm -hmm. And then he starts asking her these random questions about where she went to high school, who her 12th grade English teacher was. Um, and it was Mrs. Walsh. So what, what? Yeah. Mrs. Um, Walsh in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. I don't, if there is a Mrs. Walsh in Pittsburgh, as there may, may very well be, we don't know you, but cool. We share a last name. Maybe um, we're related. Maybe. Um, Probably not. And so then we see in what I think is supposed to be day four of the time loop, that he's using this information to now get into Nancy's good graces and seduce her. Um, and we don't really need to go much into this, uh, but this becomes the theme that he also then uses on Rita as well, which is... It's um, not great. I don't and, like it. And learning I don't about like it. them in, in only... Not learning about them in the sense like I'm interested about your life and I want to get to know you, but I want to use this information to make you think I'm a different person than I actually am. Right. Um, And it's kind of like, I don't know how to put this exactly, but like in any relationship, not just romantic ones, it's really not a cool situation if one person has more access to information, like significantly more access to information than somebody else, right? Like, um, or if one person is hiding information that is relevant uh, to the other person. Um, And I mean, let's face it, this is often a trope in movies and TV and novels is, is this very concept of like, I know something that if I told this person, then they wouldn't want to be my friend or they wouldn't want to date me. Um, so I can't tell them this. Right. Um, like even that dumbass movie 
While You Were Sleeping with Sandra Bullock, where it's like the reveal, many rom-coms in particular seem to operate with the idea that one of the people is not telling the other person the full story of what's going on. It's not great because it really does mess with, I mean, not, I get that this is the movie and like, okay, fine, I'll calm down. But it really does mess with the idea of consent. Yes. Because they're, they're, they don't, yes, like you said, they don't have the full picture. They don't have, um... Basic, I mean, really, if we want to get dark in this, um, and I don't, but I'm going to, I guess, um, it, this thing with Nancy, this um, encounter with her, borders on rape. Wow. Um, I mean, I mean, maybe that's I don't pushing know. it. I, to me, it's more that he's He did not know her. her in, yeah, he does. And so I don't know that... It quite is on that level yet. Like, in fact, I think the person that he's done the worst thing to is Rita. Yes, I agree. <laughs> you know, like, I agree. Um, but he also then, like, this, he gets this, like, one night with this woman, and he doesn't try to get to know her. He doesn't try to, like, go back. And um, at least with Rita, he does seem to have some type of genuine care for her. For this this other poor Nancy lady, he has his one night with her and then, like, he'll see her again on the street and be like, you know, he doesn't... Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's also... We see hints of that early on that he's using this ability to seduce women. Yeah. Um, Which... I think is meant for us to say, ah, that's showing how he's still pretty much a shit bag at this Mm -hmm. point. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and then now we're getting into the point where it's becoming less and less clear just how much time is passing because we focus in on Phil sitting in gobbler's knob and he's saying like, gust of wind. Yeah. Car, car goes by. Um, and even though this is opening up to the phase where he's maybe the most unhinged, he also seems the most depressed at this yeah. point because he really can anticipate everything. Yeah. And so this is when he steals money from the armored truck because the guards are distracted by the lady from the diner who's dropped the quarters. Yeah. Um, and so then he's got all this money, presumably, and then I was like, well, because later he offers that piano teacher $1,000 for a lesson. So does he keep st- saving? Does he keep stealing that money every time? <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> he might. Whoa. I don't know. Not, I mean, he yeah, can't. Yeah, they don't show it ever again, but. He can't. Um, I don't think he can ultimately, because then if, if the premise is, is that the final day is the way he should have done it, and that's how he gets out then he can't have stolen this money. But he does yeah, maybe seem not. to have I a mean, lot of he, cash on him for some reason. Yeah. I mean, maybe he makes good money as a weatherman and he just has $1,000 cash in his pocket. <laughs> well, that was the, the other thing, too, that I was thinking when um, when we get to the auction and we talk about like how much money Rita has in her wallet, I was like, oh, yeah, people used to carry like lots of cash on them because... <laughs> <laughs> that was just how you did things. Yeah. Um, so at this point, um, Phil does seem to 
have some genuine interest in Rita because then they're, we're back mm-hmm. in the diner and they're talking again and he's asking her kind of like what she hopes for her life and what she would hope out of a partner. Yeah. Um, now, this is where I start getting irritated with Rita because she says the things you would expect, which is she wants to have a nice career and a good relationship and mm-hmm. have some kids, which is all, that's all pretty standard, nothing weird there. Um, but then when he asks her, like, what kind of man she wants, uh, this is She's got what high she standards, says. I'll say that. Yeah, this is what she says. Humble, intelligent, supportive, funny, me, romantic, me, courageous. Me, <laughs> Good body, kind, <laughs> sensitive, able to cry, loves animals, children, plays an instrument, and loves his mother. That is I'm, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen things. And Bill Murray says, I am really close on this one. <laughs> I know. And the way he says it implies that the, the main stumbling block is that whole loves his mother thing. <laughs> well, it's so funny because he, she does say all that. And I said, I said to two men that I was watching it with, I was like, that's really high standards. Um, and they were both like, <laughs> they were like, I feel like I... Like we both play instruments and we love our mothers. I feel like I fit all those things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I know that the truth is, is each individual person has a lot of like, if you were to really list every quality of every individual, it would probably be a list of like 70 things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so this list maybe isn't that wild, but it just sounds like Jesus well, when you, Christ. When you list like, it all off in one, it is like... A lot. And I mean, it also implies like whatever you're thinking, um, you might also need to adjust that as you go. Right. Right. Um, That like having a rigid list of like, they did that, check, they did that, check. Right. um, That I just turns me off and it like, it turns me off. It would turn me off for men or for like anybody who's like, this is the, the parameters. Right. And if you can't do it, then I will not even like entertain you as a possibility. Yeah. Um, because that also is one of those things that like oftentimes, and maybe especially in romantic situations, people have clear ideas about what they think they want or need, mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that is, in fact, what they need. Yeah, because right? people like, are morons. That's what they think about. <laughs> yeah, and we are especially bad at knowing ourselves and picking people who are good yes. for us. In, mm-hmm. in my experience, that's a major <laughs> stumbling block for most people. Yeah, it is. Including myself. <laughs> um, so this is a change, though, because Phil starts thinking clearly about like how he might kind of live up to Rita's standards. So then we see him, he he starts off not strong in this capacity because then we see him taking a part of the engine from the van (laughs) so that they will be trapped there. uh, So he can like kind of quote unquote work on Rita, but I don't even know why he does this because he knows that the storm is going to keep them there anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. But just, you know, to, be like one little thing tick that off the list like yep got that (laughs) yeah um so this is when we get into the little effort where they're at the hotel bar and he's trying to 
kind of model her behavior and do the same thing. So first, he comes into the bar while she's reading, and he said, would you like to join me for a drink? She says yes, and then he orders a bourbon, and she orders, what is it, like sweet, sweet vermouth, vermouth with on a the twist, rocks which, with a twist. Which sounds disgusting. I don't even know honestly. what sweet vermouth is. I know you're not much of a drinker, but I'm like, that is not a fun drink. <laughs> and nobody drinks it. It's just like the weirdest thing in the world. Well, vermouth, I thought um, was like one of those things, like you wouldn't drink like triple sec alone. And I thought vermouth was similar. Right. Yes. Yes, it is. It's like good in a cocktail. Yeah. It is not a cocktail itself. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion. Um, so then the next day, Phil comes in. Uh, and I and this is where, like, again, the people who've done the counting maybe would differ than me. Mm. But I'm like, when there are these certain kind of vignettes where they're showing him learning, like, straight away, mm-hmm. I'm like, he has to wait for the next day for it to reset. Right. And... Also, I don't think he's like waiting a couple days to try again. He's trying it again immediately the next time. Yeah, I think we so. Reset. So then he goes and he orders the exact same drink as Rita. She indicates that this is in fact her favorite drink. Yeah, weirdo. Um, and then he gives a toast to the groundhog and she says, well, I usually toast to world peace. And that was another one where That's I was like, strike to Rita, yeah. you are really insufferable in a way that I don't. <laughs> yes, that's very uppity. Um, because you as know, if, because like, as if that makes you a better person, or as if that actually means that world peace is going to happen because you drank a drink to it. I know. Um, and then finally, on the third try. He does everything kind of perfectly perfect. And you see Rita kind of respond in this way, like, oh, wow, maybe he isn't as shitty as I thought he was. Nope, he is. Which (laughs) uh, he is because he's tricking you. You just don't know. Um, But as well, I'm like, is it really that easy to win over this woman? Right, like like you get the same drink as me? Oh, you're the one. (laughs) Yeah, Um So then we go through some series of different events where Phil is kind of taking her around uh, Punxsutawney and the way he's showing her around the town tells the viewer that they've, that first of all, Phil has been in Punxsutawney now quite a while. Um, And even Rita and he have done this day a number of times because she says she's feeling deja vu. Mm. Um, so, you know, again, this, we don't know how long <laughs> yeah. is going here, but he's clearly been here for a while. Yeah. Now comes probably my favorite gag of the whole movie, <laughs> which <laughs> is they're in the German restaurant. They're having dinner. Mm-hmm. They're chatting about like, kind of like their lives and what brought them uh, to working at this news station. Mm-hmm. And Rita says that she's kind of like always just maybe like not necessarily had a super concrete plan. So she has a super concrete plan about the man she wants to marry, but she doesn't have a super concrete plan about like the life she wants to live. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, unfortunately I do think that that is probably normal for a lot of people. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and by people, I mean but women so, specifically. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was what you were going toward, but I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to assume you were being sexist. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to be. It's just unfortunate. Continue. Yes. Um, so then he's like, oh, and then she says kind of casually like, oh, this is, you know, far and away different from what I started out doing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you didn't like study broadcasting in college or journalism. And she's like, no, I actually studied 19th century French poetry. And what is his reaction to that? Doesn't he laugh or say like, that's boring something? He laughs immediately. And then he says, what a colossal waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's got some good lines in this movie. I will say like... As much as we're saying he's a dick, like, and perhaps Bill Murray was a dick himself, uh, like, he's got some good lines in this movie that are funny. Yeah. So, so already, to me, this bit has worked tremendously, because I think that reaction is hilarious. (laughs) But it's made even funnier, because then they're back in the restaurant again. And what's interesting is like, again, for us as the viewer, this seems like this is happening the next day. Yeah. But because of how the joke works, we have to know that in fact, it's taken quite a long time. Perhaps years. For this to happen again. Yes. Yeah. Because then Rita mentions, as she again says, she studied 19th century French poetry. Uh And now Phil very smoothly like turn Cox's head and is like, L'amour, la lune, la bleue. Like, and he's like speaking perfect French and reciting a poem. Amazing. And I mean, like, honestly, I think that is my favorite joke of the whole movie is like the, the setup is so good. And then it's got actually like two laughs in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, um, so I, anyway, that's one of my favorite spots. Yeah. That's a good one. So then, um, the two of them are out in Gobbler's Knob making a snowman, and they have a couple different like opportunities where it seems like they might kiss, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really thought was interesting is so in this part where they're like dancing in that like pavilion or gazebo or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, the song that's playing is that. Uh, song, but you don't know me. Oh, oh yeah, I like that song. But I it's like also- that song too. But I thought, like, oh, this is actually really interesting because it's this love song. But the love song itself is actually sad and mm-hmm. about how this person doesn't know them. Mm-hmm. And then it has an even kind of pithier uh, meaning in the context of this, which mm-hmm. is. She does not know him. He, yeah, he knows her, Mm -hmm. but she has no idea of this at all. Yeah. Right. So I just thought that was interesting that they made that song choice for that uh, scene. Um, which then finally we arrive, um, in Phil's room at the BNB on this evening where he has really impressed Rita and Mm -hmm. now they kiss but Rita is still pretty much like that's about all I want to do um and Phil is like but why and she's like well because I 
don't know you. And he's like, yes, you do. And I know you. <laughs> like, uh, things start going badly from there. Uh, because she's like, what are you talking about? Um, he says he loves her. And she's like, how could you possibly? Um, and then he starts saying, like, this is how much I know about you, blah, blah, blah. And then Rita really freaks out. Yeah. And she's like, how do you know? Like, did you call my friends? Are you <laughs> sneaking around? Like, that would be unnerving if you, this is like literally one of the first full days you spent with somebody. Well, especially like, you know, they've had this lovely day and that's great. And I can see being like kind of carried away by the romance of it all. Mm -hmm. But if in the context of me having come to somebody's hotel room and then I say, you know, I think I like am fine with this making out, but that's about where I want to go. And in fact, I think I'd like to just, I'm going to go back to my hotel now. Um, because this is, this day is nice now as like, I've got yeah. a nice thing and also they're coworkers. So yeah. it's not just like any it's old thing. Just, yeah. Um, if then the reaction from that person would be to say, I am in love with you. Terrifying. <laughs> I would be like, how did I end up in this room all alone with you? I need to get out of here immediately. Terrifying. Like, yeah. Um, I, like it would turn, it would curdle. The whole day, like if, you know, because oh, like, I, I would be, I would, I can't fall in love with somebody in 12 hours. I can't. Well, it's, it's not possible. And, and like, not for to, me, I, maybe for somebody, but not for me. No. And like nobody, let's be real. Like, yes, you can, you can feel, uh, and I do think you can feel some type of immediate connection with someone and you can feel like, oh, this maybe is different than anything I've felt in the past. But no one is ready to be like, straight up, I love you. Let's do this thing after 12 hours. <laughs> like, right. Well, and especially, I just looked at my notes again. And I, he has another great line in this one. Because she's like, you don't love me. You're just in love with yourself. And his response is, that's not true. I don't even like myself. <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling you, there's actually a lot, like, I even again, even though we're talking about, like, what a shit of, head of a guy he is, there's a lot that I relate to with him in this movie. And, like... For sure. Some of his lines, like, just really do crack me up. And um, I also, I think we, we skipped over it, and it's 100% not important, but, like, <laughs> when he goes on one date with this other random girl at one point where he's, like, dressed up like a cowboy. Yeah. And they go to the movies... And he's like one adult, and and like points to her, and she's like two adults. I know. <laughs> and even that like is not really a joke per se, but that really made me laugh. Like, you yeah. got some good lines yeah, in this yeah. movie. Yeah, there's. I mean, they're not really. Some of them are subtle, and some of them are obvious, but all of them have like a a truth to them that yeah. feels very like candid and mm-hmm. human, not like I'm just walk, watching an actor do a bit. Like, yeah. Ah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I also um, believe that they're like real to Bill Murray. Now I don't know him clearly, sure, but I feel <laughs> very much like, he, I do feel like his character in this movie is relatively close to him in real life. Probably. And I mean, and Maybe I think not it's also as much of an asshole. I don't know. But like some of the yeah. like darker humor, I feel like is him. 
And it's also actually really true. And this is why that, like, I don't even like myself line, like cuts. That's why it's so funny is because so many of us do like externalize things in such a way where it's like, if I can just get someone to love me, (laughs) then all my problems will be solved. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be alone because being around myself sucks, you know, but like then I, but I love this person, you know, like, so that's the other thing is like, sometimes I think people fixate on someone and they think they're in love because they're like thinking about that person is so much more appealing than than spending time with myself or thinking about, you know, like, sure. so, um, that's why I think that line is like so great. Cause it's like such a really true feeling that it most a, of us have felt at it's some a true, point in yeah, our lives. It's a true feeling. And so much of what we're told and so much of the like inspirational quotes that are out there and everything is like, you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else. And that feels right. like, hard for a lot of people. I it think. is hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is one of the few, like of those stupid sort of like sayings that I actually do agree with. I think like ultimately to have a lasting relationship with someone, particularly a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. like you, there, uh, there is truth to that, which is yeah. like, if you really think of yourself as like a walking human garbage can, <laughs> Um, right. It's hard for anyone else to respect you if you don't respect yourself. I think think it's more like respecting (laughs) yourself or like having some sort of, I don't know if you like love sounds, seems like a strong word to say for yourself and seems, I know it's not, but it feels arrogant to be like, I love myself, but, but to say like, I respect myself enough to like put myself in a situation that is healthy uh, or that, you know, I'm not going to be with somebody who takes advantage of me whatever I think that's more like I would say like you have to respect yourself before you can that would be my that's my advice kids yeah (laughs) um so this is what brings us into the depressive part of his experience um because this whole gambit for trying to get Rita does ultimately doesn't work yeah um and so I also noticed what was interesting in this part or like, I mean, there are these small details that I think are really clever because through all this depressing part of the movie or depression part of the movie, Phil is only in his pajamas oh, now. Interesting. Like he doesn't wear real clothes. Like he'll put his big coat over them, but he's yeah. only in his pajamas in every scene. I mean, that um, seems like that checks out. No. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a, that's like, no, that's like a common, like, element of how to diagnose if someone is suffering from clinical depression is like, are you changing your clothes regularly? Yeah. And are you showering and like things like that? Cause if you're not doing that, the part of the reason you're not doing it is there's some part of you that's like, why even bother? Nothing. Everything's worthless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's like in these pajamas all the time Mm -hmm. and he like now he really knows everything and he's like, uh, the, the bit where he's like breaking the alarm clock a couple times in a row. I really like, yeah, I like that too. <laughs> he's like throwing it on the ground and stuff or smashing it with a yeah. hammer. Yeah. Um, and then he is then many times later, he's doing his report, 
uh, and Larry and Rita are like watching him like bug out on <laughs> air. Um, and he, and what, let's see, uh, where's the, oh yeah. Then he's like talking about how winter is never going to end. There's no end to winter. (laughs) And And then he's like, and I know who to blame. And he's like, it's that groundhog. And then he says, he's gotta be stopped and I have to stop him. (laughs) (laughs) So then, um, he, uh, takes like he's watching as the groundhog is being returned i guess to wherever it goes when it's not groundhog day mm-hmm. and he takes the car the truck that yep. the groundhog's cage is in he steals it mm-hmm. and then he and punxatani phil are driving around in an, in the second car chase <laughs> of the movie um and this I did like as well because like it's got that kind of like crazy energy, like the song that's playing is yeah. like some kind of like piano riff or something. Yeah. Um and then uh Larry and Rita and the police officers are all following in their cars. And then at one point they're saying, like, God, it looks like he's all over the road. Is he drunk? And then it cuts to him inside the truck. And what is he doing? The groundhog is driving. Right. I mean, ish. <laughs> the groundhog is like, and I actually, I am I crazy? Like, I thought that groundhog was cute. I was finding myself yeah. like, I kind of want a groundhog. Yeah, they look cute. I think I'd prefer a hedgehog as a pet, which mm, are little pets I've discovered from the internet. Mm. Um, but yeah, it has a cutish face. And my favorite bit from that is at one point he says to the groundhog, don't drive angry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this all culminates with Phil and the groundhog driving over the edge of like the cliff in this quarry. It looks like a quarry. I'm not totally sure what it is. Yeah. And the car like flips end over end, lands bottom up. Larry and Rita run to the edge and Larry says he could be okay and then the truck bursts into flames (laughs) but my favorite part is what he says after that he goes "Mm, yeah probably not now and the fact that he says probably not after the car explodes (laughs) is also my favorite um and then this then opens up to the like we see three different attempts for him to take his own life yeah. at this point. And again, this is, he's always in pajamas yeah. in this bit. Um, so he has really given up, mm-hmm. uh, which I understand. Like, cause yeah. I think like, I mean, if we're really, if we're, if he truly is in this loop for 34 years, can you imagine like that is deeply depressing? <laughs> like I, I can see like, like when I thought spots, about it, I was like, when I thought about it, I was like, what if he's in this for a thousand years? Oh, you yeah. Know, like, um, and I, and even though I think to me, the way I understand this is that the boredom that starts, emer- cause like once you figured out the cool stuff, right. That's like the first part of this movie is figuring yeah. out the cool stuff. Like I'm stealing yeah. money. I'm tricking women into having sex <laughs> with me. I'm eating that's all this cool food. Stuff. I'm drinking. Yeah. That's the cool, <laughs> fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then even that gets boring. Yeah. 
And so then you're like, well, now everything's boring. Like, what do I do? And so to me, that's like how I envision this progression, which is like, you do everything, you keep yourself busy, then you get bored, then you get depressed. Like that's kind of how I'm imagining this happening. Yeah. Um, And then weirdly, this transitions to Phil then talking to Rita again in the diner. And now he's like, I think I might be a god. And she is like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I, I like do that. not, I am not in agreement with you about that. <laughs> and he explains like kind of his, a bit of his experience. And yeah. particularly he's like, I know everything. And she's like, you can possibly know everything. He's like, yes, I do. And he's like, um, I think this is where he says like that server is about to drop a tray yeah. and then mm-hmm. it happens. And, and then he, he goes, goes around, around the restaurant and like tells who everybody is and little things about yeah. them. Yeah. And then finally, like he sees Larry coming in, looking for them, about to talk to them. And he's like, here, I'll show you. And he writes down on a piece of paper, the exact words that then come out of Larry's mouth. Yeah. And Rita does seem somewhat convinced uh, or like intrigued anyway. Yeah. And so she's like, okay, fine. Um, I will spend the rest of the day with you and see what happens. Yeah. Um, so then we miss whatever they do on that day because then we end up, it's like evening time. They're back in his room And they're just playing cards together. And she asks him, she's like, so this is what you do with eternity? So that's like the the one little bit where I felt like they were trying to show like the boredom aspect, which we don't really see, uh, but has to certainly has to be there to some degree. Yeah, of course. Um, And what's also really interesting is when she asks him that now Phil says what's the bummer about this situation is that there are no consequences, which at first was the whole fun of it. Yeah. Right now he's kind of been like, no, because, and specifically he's talking about that consequences don't concept. When we, we use the word consequences, that's inherently has like a bad sound to it. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, yeah. there are consequences to your actions. When people yeah. say that they're usually not like, the consequence to you roasting that chicken is eating good chicken. (laughs) It's like always like a bad thing. Right. Um, And so, but what he's saying is like, in this case, what that means is like, we've just had this really nice day, but you're not going to remember it. Yeah. Um, And she's, and she does have like a certain amount of empathy for him. This is probably the first time he doesn't seem like a complete shithead. Um, Congratulations. It only took him the entire movie. It took a while. <laughs> it took him a while to get there. An hour and 15 minutes it took him. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, okay, well, I'm going to hug you. And like, then you can see she's like thinking this is this big moment. And yeah. then the clock switches to midnight and she looks at him and she's like, but you're still here. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And he's, He's like, yeah. And she's like, come on, you knew I was waiting till midnight. That's what I thought you were talking about. And he's like, no, no, it only ever resets at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And there's a brief moment where it seems like she's kind of like thinking this is some sort of ruse, but she ultimately uh, decides to stay with him through the e- night mm-hmm. um, to kind of see for herself this reset happen at 6 mm-hmm. a.m. 
Um, unsurprisingly, both of them seem to fall asleep at various points yeah. throughout the remainder of the night. But at one point, Phil is awake and she is asleep. And while she's asleep, he's telling her like how he's in love with her and thinks she's so great. And I just don't get why this is a thing in TVs and mo- in TV and <laughs> movies. This talking to someone while they're asleep thing. Yeah, it's creepy. Guys, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I've had people talk to me while exactly. they're sleeping, but I don't know that it's creepy exactly. I just don't see the point of it like no there's not one but it's for the audience (laughs) well right like I was like I see the point if it if the point is some kind of exposition which I guess is what it is generally that's Um, what it is I think but at the same time I'm just like but I don't think people do that not normal people I don't I don't know it's just I guess I'll just sum it up with that is not for me that (laughs) uh that method of storytelling I don't particularly enjoy because it feels Got kind it. of weird and kind of lazy. I'm like, yeah, oh, I don't know. Um, but 6 a.m. comes and we're back into the day and nothing, the, the consequences don't happen just oh, as dang it. Phil says. But his reaction now seems to be quite a bit different because when he's on the street, he now gives this homeless guy who he's passed a number of times, he gives him a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Um, when he comes to do his recording, he brings Rita and Larry their coffees and he knows their exact coffee order. Mm-hmm. And he's also telling them like, oh, I was talking to some other guy and he says, if we set up the shot over here, it'll be better. So he's like now turning over this new leaf of being like a good guy a god Um, he thinks he's a god so he's being like jesus (laughs) well yeah he it seems he only briefly lands on that lily pad because um he he doesn't hang on to this notion of being a god after that after saying it right like yeah yeah because then he's his new thing is to start being this person that Rita has said that she wants, right? So then we see him going to get a piano lesson for (laughs) $1,000. And then we see him, he knows how to ice sculpt. That's Uh, what I would do with eternity. I would learn how to be an ice sculpturist. I mean, it can't hurt. It's pretty cool. It's a weird talent, but it's it's interesting. Um. Then we see, to me, one of the funnier things he does to Ned, but also I'm not really sure if this, this might be the part of the movie that ages the least well, because he, Ned comes up and Phil is like extremely uh, kind, I guess we could say Mm -hmm. to him. And then he hugs Ned really close into him and starts whispering in his ear and he's like I don't know what you've got to do later but can you skip it (laughs) (laughs) so this is like just like a weird homophobic part almost yes yes because because it doesn't age well but it's also like not a lot different than things that people even do in movies now 
well, and Ned runs the fuck away. He, he is like, <laughs> like a bat out of hell. He like turns around and runs away just at the mere suggestion that they might like have an intimate moment together. But also, um, you know what? I also don't judge him, not because of like being homophobic, but like, again, like in Ned's world, in his timeline, he, this is someone he hasn't seen in years. And if you went up right. to them... And they intimately hugged you and said, sort of, I don't even like people who've known me my whole life to give me hugs that last more than 15 seconds. Like, (laughs) right, right. So I'm saying, like, I may have the same reaction if, like, say, some, some girl I knew from high school came up to me and did that. And not because I'm like, homophobic or afraid that like she wants to like be with me but because I don't know you (laughs) right right let's yes let's do that let's assume that is what's happening yeah Yeah. um then we go through this whole kind of series of attempts that Phil makes to try and save the homeless man from dying Mm -hmm. uh that does not work so there are certain limits to whatever if he if you want to think of him as having powers Mm-hmm. There are limits to them. Yeah. Um, and now we are in the final uh, day of the movie because we start out, we see Phil at Gobbler's Knob again. He's doing his report, but mm-hmm. now he's like surrounded by the townspeople and he gives this very sensitive and moving kind of like statement and mm-hmm. um, Rita is really touched by what he has to say. And so she invites him to join her for a coffee, and he's like, I would love to, but I actually have some errands to run. I'll meet you later tonight. She's mm-hmm. like, what kind of errands could you have to run in this town? Um, but the errands are pretty important. Do you want to tell us what they are? Oh, oh yeah. I forgot for a second until I read this, but... Um so his errands are he has to catch a kid from a falling tree or for catching a kid from falling out of a tree. You know, that's a pretty right. standard one. And he's like, you've never thanked me. Um, I know. <laughs> then he has to change the tire of the little old ladies. And then he has to give the mayor Heimlich. Um, yeah. Those are the ones you wrote down. I don't remember anything else if there were any. No, other those ones. are all those are all the ones that we see him okay. do. There might be others, but those are the ones that we see him do. And finally, we arrive at that the big party at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And um, Larry and Rita are talking to each other. And they're like, I wonder where Phil is. And Nancy Taylor is there because Larry's been trying to hit on her. And she's like, <laughs> Phil Connors? He's in the main room. Like, go check it out. And so we get to this big... Uh, Groundhog Day party and Phil is playing the piano like jazz piano mm-hmm. um, and he's got sunglasses on and everyone's dancing and um, let's see my notes my very first note about this party in all caps says lots of 90s sweaters oh gosh it was like all just around all around well like, there's lots of vests in this we didn't talk we haven't talked much about um outfits but uh rita in particular wears actually how could she wear so many vests maybe it's the same vest over and over because well it is the same because she's wearing the same clothes every time but yes that's also that was also a note i made at this point my other note says remember vests and those weird drop waist dresses (laughs) here's the deal 
I do remember vests because I never wore a drop waist uh, drop waist dress. You like know you what I'm said? talking about, though, right? Those oh, yeah, dresses that like that look like kind of pioneer women dresses. Yeah, they're really bad, and they're usually patterned with flowers. Yes. So they're really bad. But what I remember about vests is I loved vests for a time. Yes. I like kind of, for me, it was in like high school to early college. So that's a little bit later than this movie. Um, and I definitely I have wore them been, like a fashion thing. I have, I have purchased and worn vests publicly every single time they were on the wave of fashion. I actually love a vest. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> And, and there's also different types of vests, like being, so, okay, I had a vest, like, I remember, I think I wore a vest in, like, my kindergarten school picture, and, like, Probably. then I also had a vest in college that I would wear all the time when I was a hostess in a restaurant, because I thought it looked super professional, and, right. but it wasn't, like, a, it wasn't a uniform, it was my vest, and, right. like, I just thought it looked cool, and, then I also, do you remember like Old Navy performance fleece vests, which were like sporty yes. versions? <laughs> and then and the puffy vest. And then the puffy vest, right. Um, that was like, yeah, so vests. Hey, all vests. <laughs> no, I truly, I love a vest. And the very first vest that I ever owned or that I can remember is one that I wore in like high school. So that would have been this early 90s, like that yeah. moment. Um, yeah. And it was like... Because this was also why it seemed very 90s to me, because that wave of the vest was that women wore ones that were boxy, like what men yeah. would wear. They weren't like cute they because like I'm... They looked like what I'm men would wear like in a three-piece suit almost that right, they took out right. and wore and they over would like have, a big blousey shirt. Right. And they would... And like if you were going to have one that wasn't just like black or navy, then it would be like a fabric that exactly looks like it's part where you would put a jacket over it and then you just yeah. have like the vest peeking out to give some color. Yeah. Cause like the vest yeah. that I had was like, um, like a thick, the, the back was black. Cause that was also the thing is the back is always black silk or whatever. Mm. And then it has the weird little thing in the back that you can, it's not a belt, but it's like, so you can make it kind of cinch in at your waist yeah. if you want to. Yeah. And then the front was like a thicker material, kind of almost like couch material sort of that yeah. was like green and white, uh, pattern mm. of some sort. And so that was a vest I had the first time vests were cool. Then the second time vests were cool in my life was probably around the time that you were in college wearing a vest where they were the cute ones, like the girly mm. ones that looked like, um, they even maybe sometimes were like done in like a halter shape on the top. So yeah, the back of your more... shoulders was like uncovered yeah. if you wanted to. I, I never really wore that style, but yes, mine was more like black with like pinstripes, like on the front. Yeah. I, mine was more like business looky, but like, yeah. Yeah. So the truth is, and I would, I would love a vest now. So like every time they come out, I'm right at the front of the line being like, oh, vests are back. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I noticed that straight away, uh, throughout the movie, but especially in this scene, you get a lot of different. 90, early 90s stuff that is quite mm -hmm. recognizable. And then this scene also is like, to me, very reminiscent of things like It's a Wonderful Life, 
Um, mm-hmm. And you're a good man, Charlie Brown, because like Phil and Rita are dancing and like just then townspeople are dancing next to them and then they jump in and they're like, Phil is so great. He did this thing. And it's mm-hmm. like a bunch of people are saying it. And I'm like, Oof, this is like a lot. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would be impressed by this or just annoyed. Yeah. Um, and then, so fine. The kind of big deal thing is that they d- uh, have a big charity auction to raise money for the town and they're auctioning off met like a date with a guy and they start mm-hmm. with of course the most beloved man in Punxsutawney Phil Connors <laughs> and there's quite a bidding war over getting a date with Phil mm-hmm. which Rita ultimately wins for $339.88 which we are meant to understand is like all the money that she has in her wallet um right. and that's like what I mean. It's like, I was like, you had that much money in cash on you? But then I remembered like they're on a business trip. Yeah. It's the early nineties where even cash machines were still kind of new and you couldn't rely on there being one necessarily around. Mm -hmm. And yes, you could use your card for stuff, but most businesses still were primarily cash-based so like you need yeah. to have quite a lot um yeah so i still struggled and, with like when i first like was a quote-unquote adult i suppose like living in new york i still struggled a lot to find places that would take cards like and they had limits and stuff even and that was as late as like 2010 you know like, right yeah yeah um so she wins they go off and now they're out in the snow again together and Phil makes a snow sculpture of her face and shows her it. I don't think I would like that personally. No, I'd probably be creeped out because especially also I don't believe that it would look, his looked good. Like it was actually like a nice rendition of her face. I feel like if someone did it for me, I'd be like somewhat offended because I feel like I wouldn't enjoy <laughs> what, what the interpretation was. Um, but now he uses this opportunity of having made this sculpture to again reveal that he's in love with her. Mm. And this time, somehow, she's okay with that. Um, I don't really, I, I don't know why. Um, because in fact, yeah. like, she's even spent less same time thing. with him. Yeah. Like, in comparison to it, the that last part time, didn't really make sense. Yeah, and the comparison to the last time he did this, where they spent the whole day together, now they've just spent like a couple hours together. But um, she's so impressed with him because he's ticked off all the things on her damn list. So she's like, I okay. guess, <laughs> I guess. But so now they kiss, and then we cut to truly, actually, finally, the next day in Phil's room in the uh, B and B. Rita remains there and he's like, oh my God, it really is a new day. Um, and then they walk out of the B and B as you pointed out, now there's snow on the ground from the blizzard and kind of the final thing is he's like, maybe we should live here. And that's kind of the end of the movie. And all I, and all I will say about that, like it's it's a cute ending and la la la, he learned his lesson and got the girl and all the Hollywood movie stuff. But she 
Oh, I was saying when I watched it, like, wouldn't it be weird on both of their parts? Like for him, he's feeling like he's known this person for 34 years. Right. And he's technically been in love with her for and the, some and amount 30, of that time. Yeah. And she has known him for a day. And he's right. saying stuff like, let's live here. And she's not right. like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, I mean, I get it. I'm not going to nitpick about that. But it, I, you know, yeah. in real world, that would be your cuckoo. Yeah. No, I mean, it has to end that way because this is a yeah. romantic comedy of a sort. And yeah. we need to tie everything up and we can't really get bogged down in details. Yeah. I get that. Um, but it is strange at the yeah. very least to, to think from her perspective. Like I had a very nice evening with a man who it turns out is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the very beginning of the movie, when she, like he has never met her before that right. day because she's brand right. new to the station so like mm-hmm. you know I guess in that sense you could say like well she has n- she only sees him ultimately for that final day when he's presumably like di- so like she, what That's she true. remembers what she remembers is like him being kind of a shitbag on the drive to Punxsutawney mm-hmm. then following day he's pretty nice and cool they mm-hmm. have a good time she sleeps over and, and then lovers forever he's like i love you <laughs> yeah and now let's move it's a weird trajectory for her move to a town where neither of us can pursue the careers that we have so what are we doing um yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, it's it's strange it's, yeah And it's a kind of weird relationship from both of their perspectives because, again, like, I would feel uncomfortable if I was with someone that I had been with for 34 years and they felt like they only knew me for a day. That would be strange. I mean, I think what what we're supposed to maybe take away from it is, like, he's deeply committed to her so we can believe that his, his interest in her is genuine and yeah. that 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 being interested in her is the catalyst for him to become the person he needs to be so he can get out of the time loop right um, and i guess and the 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 uh nicer spin on it is not so much that he was uh trying to trick her by like being everything that was on this list of hers but actually being like okay this list is inspiring me to be an actual better person. Like, because he saved the kid without her seeing that and he did other stuff without her seeing it all. She may have heard about it later, but like, so it inspired him. I guess I think probably what we're supposed to believe is it just inspired him in general to be a better person. Right. Um, And that has its parallel in like actual relationships because it is true that some people are like by virtue of being in this relationship I felt like I had really lucked out by finding this person and so I like had to raise my game to like Mm -hmm. feel like they because I didn't want them to be dating a shithead you know like (laughs) um so so I get it but um 
you know, at the same time, it is a bit of a strange. It is. No doubt. Uh, Unparalleled arrangement between the two of them. But um, maybe someday he will tell her the experience. But who's to say? Um, (laughs) So let us now turn to yawns and eye rolls. Uh, mm-hmm. As always, we shall begin with yawns. One yawn being, this was great. I was not bored at all. And 10 yawns being like, woof, I really, really uh, couldn't get into it. Oh, I think for me, this uh, straight one, I I love this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say the same. I, it's a really excellently put together um movie that is a cool story that's kind of explored well um and has a really good cast so yeah i agree with that in terms of eye rolls one eye roll is like it's a movie about time loops oh well um (laughs) and 10 eye rolls is like oh my god how many more gags could there be about multiple opportunities to do the same thing over and over again, what would you give it? I would say, um, cause I'm fully on board for this movie, but also like the romantic comedy of it all. Of course there's eye roll features. So I'll say sure. like three, but I'm yeah. okay with it. Yeah. I would say, yeah, that's the kind of tricky part. Cause to me, the part that is sickening <laughs> is the rom-com part. Yeah. But in terms of like the way they chose to tell the time loop story, that I thought was really yeah, good. That didn't like they, me. they don't overdo the mm-hmm. gags, you know? Mm-hmm. Like we all, we even though it feels like we keep seeing Ned Ryerson, we don't really <laughs> keep seeing Ned Ryerson. Like that bit is only done I think four times total yeah. in the movie, you know? So Yeah. I guess yeah, maybe I'll go five because the rom-com part does make me eye-rolly, but the time loop part, I'm fine with. So I'll yeah, give it a same. It, right in the middle five. Cool. I will say overall, this is definitely like of the stuff we've watched on this particular podcast, this is definitely my favorite overall. It's something that I would watch on my own, will watch in the future, will watch again, you know, all of that. Um Probably because it's the least science fiction-y. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not just earthbound. It is like we are just in Punxsutawney, folks. That yeah, is we, where we are. <laughs> and there's, there's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think everybody kind of, like everything that I saw about this tells me that it, everybody seems to like it. Most people seem to like it when they watch it. Oh, yeah, it's got like um, a 96 or something really high on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. Yeah, so like if somehow you've found yourself in a world where you have not seen this movie... Uh, Go for it. Give it a try for sure. Um, I think you won't be disappointed. It's like all the things that we normally complain about. It's not too long. It's not too mm-hmm. weird. Um, it's mm-hmm. not even... 290s that was something i meant to say up top is like they yeah. specifically made choices uh to not do too much like stuff that would seem like yeah this there's is not a movie like from 1993 yeah yeah 
I mean, it so, definitely it feels 90s in a certain sense, you know, and just because I know it as something that I watched in the 90s, um, it, it does feel 90s-ish to me. But yes, you're right. It doesn't, even though some of the fashion is like clear that it, that's when it is, there's not a lot of pop culture references. There's not, I've watched lots of other things where it's like, whoa, this is so 90s, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and like, again, but for that sort of weird possibly homophobic part like even (laughs) even the humor like isn't like oof that didn't age well you know like yeah um yeah so that too I think is part of what speaks to this being a really well conceived and well executed film despite all of the true nonsense that was happening during its production (laughs) yeah honestly Um, it's pretty it's a good testament to the movie itself yeah, so definitely this is a see you next week in space, uh, probably unqualified four thumbs up from us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And give it a watch if you want. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, cool. thank you, Amy. And I am Sarah. And as always, we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.